The Immortal Game is a San Francisco Chronicle Book of the Year and is available in ebook and trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 7 Jody's Tip She wore a short white dress made of neoprene rubber. It fit like a milk bath. A silver-colored zipper with a large pull ring ran down the middle. Zipped as far as the tensile strength of the rubber would permit, it still exposed enough to certify her member-in-good-standing D-cup delegation. Two more zippers for pockets were installed above her hips, on the off chance she wanted to tote around a dime or a postage stamp. She wore matching white pumps, dangling silver earrings, and a silver Egyptian ankh on a chain around her neck. If she were wearing anything else, I'd have needed a CAT scan or a strip search to find it. I feel like I've been sent to the principal's office, she said, taking in the room and its meager contents. Vice principal, actually, but I've been in power to act on his authority. Have a seat and I'll adjudicate your case. I struggled to keep my eyes above her waist as she sat down on one of the hard metal chairs and crossed her legs. Adjudicate, she said. Is that something we can do sitting down? You're probably thinking of something else. I just meant I would decide what punishment to give you. She grinned at me. I know what adjudicate means, Mr. Reardon. My dad happens to be a judge of the district appellate court. I was just pushing your buttons. I'll say. So, can I get you something? A cup of coffee? A diamond mine in South Africa? My heart on a platter? You're sweet. I don't need anything right now, especially coffee. She gestured at the many half-filled cups around the room. It looks like you've got too many cups already. Doctor's orders. Keeps the humidity up. She nodded at me like I'd said something important. I felt the pressure of a growing silence. When I couldn't take it any longer, I tilted my chair back with a loud squeak and said, I forgot. Did I call this meeting or did you? I'm sorry. It's just that I wasn't sure what to say. I hate going behind Edwin's back. I take it you have something to tell me about the chess software. More or less. She picked up the Egyptian Ankh and began moving it back and forth on the chain in front of her chest. It was very distracting. Look, she said abruptly. It's like this. I'm pretty sure that Terry did take the software. There's been a lot of bad blood between her and Edwin, and I wouldn't put it past her to take it from him when he kicked her out. But she's a good friend of mine, and I don't want to see her get into any more trouble. She's already screwed up enough as it is. You don't want Terry to get into trouble, I said. Check. But what specifically did you want me to know? Jody sighed and let the onk fall back to her chest. I suppose it's nothing you wouldn't have found out eventually. But before I tell you, I want you to promise you'll protect Terry. Once you convince her to give the software back, you've got to keep Edwin from filing charges against her with the police. I can't guarantee that. There are too many variables outside of my control. Terry might not have held on to the software, or she might refuse to give it back. If she does have it and agrees to return it, Bishop might still want his pound of flesh. And if the cops aren't brought in by Bishop, they could come in some other way, like through Mephisto. 
Terry thought for a moment, then said, Okay, just promise you'll do your best for her, however things turn out. All right, I promise. Now what's the deal? Have you got her waiting downstairs in the car? No, but I know where she's working. Where then? At a place called the power station. I gather we're not talking about generation of electricity here. No, it's an S&M club. I picked a paper clip off the desk and began bending it into a miniature version of Rodin's The Gates of Hell. Either that or a badly formed letter C. I wasn't sure which. That's just swell, I said. This isn't under the same management as the stigmata by any chance. I've never heard of that, she said. Never mind. Not your kind of place. So what's Terry doing at the power station? Handing out towels in the locker room? That sort of thing? Jody giggled. The dungeon would be more like it. And she's probably handing out a lot more than towels. I suppose I asked for that. Where is this place and how do I get into it? I mean, do I have to flash my piercings at the door? It's in North Beach, in an old brewery on Chestnut near Powell. You can walk right in. There's a public section that's open to everyone. There's also a private section for club members that you need a referral to get into. I can set you up with that if you want. I flung the paperclip into the waste can and leaned forward over the desk. Jody, what's the story with you girls? Are you all into this stuff? And for that matter, what in the heck are you doing with Bishop at all? Jody made an impatient gesture. Next you're going to ask what my parents would think. We're not living in Saudi Arabia here, Mr. Reardon. Women don't have to wear veils and kowtow to men. I don't happen to be into the S&M scene, but I'd never judge Terry for participating. There's something to be said for kicking a little male behind and getting paid for it while you're at it. As for Edwin, I'm very happy to be with him. He's intelligent, he treats me well, and he really asks very little in return. That was more dignity and strength of will than I expected from her side of the table. It didn't make her right, though. You win that round in points, I said. Let's get back to Terry. What I want to know is why Bishop kicked her out in the first place. She was doing drugs. What sort of drugs? Several kinds, I guess. I know she did Special K, and Edwin told me she also shot heroin. Better and better, I said. By Special K, you mean that stuff they invented to knock out rogue elephants? Yes. Ketamine. It's some kind of animal tranquilizer. That and ecstasy are the drugs of choice for the rave set. What happened exactly? Did Bishop catch her shooting up one day and kick her out? Or did he work his way up to it? Jody pushed the heels of her hands into the seat cushion, lifted herself up, and recrossed her legs. I nearly had an out-of-body experience. Edwin knew she'd been taking drugs for some time, she said. He kept trying to get her to stop, but one day she OD on Special K and he had to rush her to the hospital. After she came home, they had a big fight and he told her she couldn't stay. Did she leave immediately after the fight, or did he give her time to find a new place and so on? No, she didn't leave immediately. She would have had time at the house before she left to take the software. When's the last time you spoke with her? She called the day she got the job at the power station to tell me about it. That was about a week ago. I haven't talked to her since. That seemed a tad unlikely. You mean you didn't get hold of her once Bishop discovered the software was missing? I tried. I called and left messages. I even drove over to her apartment one evening. She doesn't seem to have been there much. And there was no talk about taking the software or getting even with Bishop in any of your prior conversations? Jody hugged herself and shifted uncomfortably in her chair. Look, she said with some asperity, I told you I think she took the software. She never said word one to me about it, but she was extremely upset with Edwin 
and she can do some pretty crazy and irresponsible things at times. Her relationship with him has always been very, well, very charged. It's different than Lisa's and mine. Anyway, the way things were between them, what happened doesn't surprise me. You mean when you have someone literally licking your boots, it's pretty easy to graduate to ripping them off? That's not very nice, Mr. Reardon. I suppose not, I said. I haven't been keeping up with my blue-green algae, so it's probably the result of a selenium deficiency, whatever that is. Jody's lips curled provocatively. She said, maybe it's because you're not getting laid. Now this was a girl who had deep insight into the human condition. Suffering from a sudden inability to focus on the topic at hand, I wrapped up the discussion of Terry McCullough by asking Jody for the address of the power station and a pass to the back room. She pulled an engraved card from her purse that had nothing but the name of the place written in Gothic script and a Chestnut Street address and phone number in small print on the bottom. She asked for a pen and wrote, I nominate August Reardon with her signature on the back of the card before passing it over. After that, the conversation drifted to other things, including sex and jazz and the framed pictures of Jimmy Blanton and Paul Chambers on the wall. I explained that I played jazz bass on a semi-professional basis, and that I especially admired Blanton and Chambers because, although they had relatively short careers, they both were innovators who moved the state of the art forward. I invited her to come to a gig I had that evening, and we ended by going to lunch at John's Grill on Ellis Street, where Jody impressed the hell out of Rupert, the Mater D, who had never seen a rubber dress before. You have been listening to The Immortal Game, a San Francisco Chronicle Book of the Year. Find it in ebook and trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com.